folks, it's time for the Pub Crawl and the Drew Marshall Show. That's where we crack open a few topics, current affairs, pop culture, even touchy-feely relational stuff. Uh, but not today, because humble Howard Glassman is in the studio, whoop, and whoop. also on the whoop. line, our very good friend, Mr. Tal Backman, recording artist extraordinaire, the She's So High guy. Tal was also featured in Bill Maher's mockumentary, Religious, as an ex-Mormon. He's the son of uh, What's-His-Face, and he writes a whole lot of great tunes, and he's very good friends with some British pop star. What's the name of that guy you're friends with again? Ian Starglow. Ian mm-hmm. Starglow. Wow. How do you put up with that guy? Uh, we get along really well, actually. Really? Yeah. Yeah, we're remarkably similar in a lot of ways. (laughs) Uh, Tal, I want to introduce you to Howard. Howard Tal. Hey, Tal, how are you? Pleasure to meet you, sir. Nice to meet you. Did you grow up, um, did you grow up in uh, Western Canada at all? I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. Where? Yeah, uh, a little town called White Rock outside of Vancouver. Yeah, yeah, I used to live in Vancouver, but I'm originally from Moose Jaw, so I spent a lot of time in Manitoba. Uh, where your dad uh, hung out. But, uh, yeah, I know where White Rock is. Have you ever met the famous uh, Mr. Backman? Um, no. No. I haven't had him on my show. No. But I've, I've, Tal, I've always admired your stuff, and I also feel we have something in common that we both put up with these crackamamie calls from Drew Marshall from yeah, time to time. Yeah, exactly. And uh, that Goodness. bonds people. Crack- you know what that does? It's like going to war together. It changes you. Crackamamie? I don't know. Cockamamie. I didn't want to do that because it's a really... I didn't want to say cockamamie because it's joy 1250. <laughs> right, right, right. I don't know where Tal is in his spiritual <laughs> yeah. journey, but okay. I want to make a bad impression. All Get right. off me, Drew. Hey, Tal, the, my, my favorite memory of you is when we had you perform on the show and uh, you walked into the studio with a guitar in your hand. No case. And I said, where's the case? No, I didn't bring a case. Well, where's the guitar? I got it from my dad's house around the corner from the studio. You know, he just walked from Mr. Backman's house with his guitar down the street. Anyway, it was very impressive stuff. It it wasn't like a $5,000 guitar, some crazy nonsense? Well, it might have been. I, I... I, n- I never know how much these guitars are worth that are lying around my dad's house, and I don't even know if he always remembers. He, he probably does now that I think about it. But, yeah, I mean, he, people send him guitars. He collects guitars. He's got loads of them lying around the house. And I don't know, on that particular morning, I just said, do you have a guitar? He said, just take that one. It was probably worth like $20,000. It's probably <laughs> oh, like a prototype, like a one-of-a-kind Martin prototype from 1918 or something. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Tal, was there, I have a semi-serious question. Was there ever a time when you were beginning to develop as an artist and starting to learn to play an instrument that you were kind of intimidated by your father? And let me just finish this question, because when I was a kid, I remember learning taking care of business on the guitar. I thought, wow, I can play some, you know, some pretty cool stuff. And then I heard looking out for number one, and there's this guitar part at the beginning when I went, I, I can't play that at all. Like, he's your dad, you know, I just realized in that moment that your father was a, was a fine musician beyond those three chords. Right. So do you, does that question make sense now? <laughs> um, well, yeah, I mean, I understand your question. I, I guess I would have to say no, because it, it's, not, it's not that, like, when I detach myself, there's nothing there to be intimidated by, like, on the contrary, of course. But it just was, it, it, it's kind of like saying, were you ever intimidated growing up in France at how good your mother was in speaking French. Yeah, like, fair it, enough. It was so, it's so in the water that you don't really think twice about right, it. You, it was part of the family to, culture to play. Part of, yeah, I mean, it's all over the place. He's playing little licks, and then, you know, you hear them on the radio, like, you know, six months later or something. Like, so in our family, it was so. part of the family culture to be tense. So we had that. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, so that always yeah. seemed natural to me, whereas yeah, I, apparently other people had to learn that. Yeah, so, I mean, the, not that this was really close, but, I, I, I mean, there was this 
feeling on my part, I think, and my brother's part and other kids, like, well, how, you know, you know, carving out maybe your own identity or kind of getting to know who you were when you're when you're that close to yep. somebody who is whose personality is so, I guess, you know, strong and out there. But other than that, no. All right. Uh, listen, I don't care about your lineage. Let's talk about our... Uh, <laughs> our <laughs> my boy! Yeah. Let's, let's talk... Psychoanalysis. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I just asked... I thought I asked a stupid question, but Drew apparently didn't like that you were taking time away from him <laughs> yeah. on the Drew Narcissist <laughs> Show. <laughs> let's get into our topics here. Uh, topic number one, uh, boys, we're going to ask a Jew and an ex-Mormon, which bugs you more? That Canadian Senator Don Meredith, who allegedly groomed a teenage girl for years so that when she turned 18 he could have sex with her. Does it bug you more, uh, Howard, that he's a senator or that he's a Pentecostal pastor? Does the pastor thing even register in your mind at all? Great question, Drew. Thanks for asking. Thank you. Um, simple, <laughs> my, my simple answer is uh, none of the above. You don't because care? What, no. Here's what, I, what bothers me more about this case is that they're playing the race card uh, as a reason that he's being vilified for this. Right. And that's the real problem is because people that are discriminated by on race, culture, and whatever right, right. Are, are, are losing out because of this Right. Uh, particular case because it will diminish other people using it. Thank you. Thank you. My time is up. Mic Thank drop. You. He's Thank out. you very much, Tim. So listen, uh, the what push, do you think of that, Tal? The pushback, <laughs> the pushback to that is is that uh, he got rid of that lawyer and they've come out with a, a new lawyer yeah. who said, yeah, we're not going to try those tactics you anymore. You just asked me for my opinion. I didn't just, what do you mean the pushback? There's no pushback. You said, what do I think? What do you think, Tal? Tal? <laughs> Didn't know there was going to be pushback. <laughs> well, I, I I actually would say neither of the above. Also, I mean, because because my first thought is just it, it's kind of more upsetting looking from the outside as, as a husband. Like the guy is married, so mm. you know, I mean, unless he has some sort of you know arrangement like that with his wife, I I feel pretty bad for her. Yeah. I, I mean, if you if you talk about as a senator, then you're presuming that these other guys in the Senate at least some of whom have to be louts, you know, I mean, are, are in some way better. I mean, I, I don't, I can't speak directly. I can't speak about those senators, but having kind of been around people kind of in those circles, I mean, you know, they got a lot of things. But, but Tal, think about this. I, I agree with what you're saying. It doesn't matter whether he's a senator or a minister. It matters that uh, what you said, what I said, that there was a young girl involved. That matters way more to me than whether he's a minister. But, or, the only part of the senator well, thing is... Is why does he still have a job? Because in any other culture, and corporately, or in the in the public sector, in any other situation, that would he would be out so well, quickly. Yeah. And I've worked well, for some well, big public why. companies. Well, here, here, well, here's why: because the age of consent in Canada is 16. Hmm. He yeah, hasn't exactly. broken a law. He hasn't broken a law. How many other people in that chamber have maybe not done that exact same thing, but you know, similarly sleazy things? I'm not saying it wasn't sleazy. Brazil. <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying it wasn't sleazy, but he didn't. That I know of, he didn't break a law. Sure, he pushed it. But, well, I, I, Cal, I'm just saying I've worked in some big public companies. There's no public companies where the CFO or somebody at the C-level would be involved in that kind of activity and still have their job. Right. Um, I'm bugged about it. I'm sorry. Can I just uh, yeah, have an opinion? Ahead. Please, please. So, no, I am bugged about it because one of the reasons I stopped doing the spiritual leader pastor thing was because I looked in the mirror and went, dude, you just are a loser spiritually, and you do not have your moral uh, compass aligned with what your job description is all about, so you need to stop uh, being a spiritual leader. So I do get on a little bit of a high horse on this whole thing when I go, seriously, you're going to um, justify and rationalize and, and, uh, and continue on? You just need to go away. Just stop and go away. And 
And I'd come at it from a, um, you know, he's a, uh, sorry, here's the other angle of this. He, he went around calling himself doctor uh, because of these fake degrees he got. And these degrees were just ridiculous from fake, you know, it's like getting a degree from Mad Magazine. Oh, it was yes. ridiculous. I love sending away for those when I was a kid. Yes, <laughs> totally got those. And the monkeys, the sea monkeys? Oh, the sea monkeys and folding the back page. I can Wait a second, he page. sent a uh, text to his sea monkey. This man must be stopped. <laughs> <laughs> How dare he? So, Drew, just on that point, like, I, I absolutely understand where you would be coming from on that, okay? But just from the outside, as I, I don't, do not consider myself to be a believing Christian, although I have many Christian friends and I admire a lot about Christianity, there, there is this, in, within Christianity, there is this persi- persistent strain of, well, we're all screw-ups, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and because of Christ's atoning blood, we all have a, a perpetual get-out-of-jail-free card, and these are just kind of one of the things, you know, the spirit was willing, but the flesh was weak. Yeah. And a lot of people give, you know, give the pastors a pass on this kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like, it's almost like dysfunction is, is built into modern Christianity because of, like, the free gift of grace. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's like a pedophilia free card. It really mm-hmm. is. It's a, it's a weird phenomenon. That's for, that's for sure. Uh, Tal, that was a nice closing statement on that topic, our first topic here on the Pub Crawl, with uh, Howard Glassman. He's known as Humble from the Humble and Fred Show, and Tal Backman, who is known as Tal, to uh, at least the intern, whose face is still red, I believe, from speaking to him. <laughs> okay, guys, uh, all three of us are fathers. We have children. Uh, I got a couple. Howard's got a couple, and Tal has a couple and a couple. I guess I want to know, um, when you think about raising your own kids, I, like I'm at a point now where my kids are 28 and 24, and I'm I'm realizing that I have really, like we used to joke about how we screwed up our kids. I've screwed my kids up. I have screwed them up big time. And I feel like a loser and a jerk face, lousy dad guy for being the kind of father that I've been over the Have you ever, has that ever tortured your soul, Tal? No. <laughs> No, I'm fine. Uh, I'm looking at the floor, Tal. I feel uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, my situation is different from yours. I probably can't really go into it on <laughs> live on air. Um, actually, uh, to be really honest with you, I, I threw myself 100% into being a great dad and a great husband while I was married. Um, so I so you- actually don't. What? You've not screwed up kids. Well, what's it look I, like underneath I, that bus? I, 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 I don't think that I screwed them up. I'm not saying that there's nothing that I would do differently, kind of in hindsight right. or whatever. Um, but but that honestly has mostly to do with with the uh, the the mother. So um, not not so much the kids. I mean, I, I would say, I would say that just to close this point, uh, I would say the most important thing about being a great parent is like, uh, you, you know, your partner is right there with you. Right, right. Um, it's a weird uh, introduction of a topic. You basically, you basically said, uh, not do you guys think you screwed up your parents? What you did do is go. I'm a screw up. I'm a, screw up, I'm a loser. Yep. Hey, how about you two? Yes, well? that's and what I did. And, and me and Tal are going. No, that's no, that's, that's not, not it at well, all. No, I don't feel that way. Right. Uh, I mean, I don't think I did everything perfectly, but my intentions were always, you know, well-founded. And, yeah, I've, you know, everybody, like I say to some other dads in my, in my sort of dad group, that nobody gets out alive. Like, you know, nobody, nobody gets out without some scars, but you hope that 
you know, you have a good dialogue and in the end that you have done the best you can. Yeah. How you feel, I mean, I can't speak to that, but I don't, I'm, not, I'm not even joking. I don't feel that way. Uh, sometimes I think, man, I've done too good a job uh, with one aspect of their raising is that they're really funny yeah. and they're really fast. And when the two of them turn their dark side on me, oh, you're done. It's, like, it's like you've been attacked by piranha that you raised. Because yeah. <laughs> when they start going after me, I still smile. just put my arms up because I'm old now and slow. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's really funny. But please leave me alone. <laughs> Stop doing that. But is there one thing you would do differently now? Because your kids are a little older now. Is there one thing you would have done? Hindsight, right? Hindsight parenting, what is it? What would you do differently, Howard? I think the thing I would have done differently is some of the things that we allowed our first daughter to do that we thought would be a good thing for our second daughter turned out to be not as good. And I wish maybe we had examined them a little bit more separately as opposed to like the first one. All this stuff that we did seemed to work for the first one, but that's because all kids are different. Yeah, so copy and paste didn't work. So in in some ways, yes. There was a couple of things that I don't want to talk about either, but definitely there were some things that uh, I wish I could have, you know, had a do-over with. So one of the reasons I brought up maybe one of the most awkward questions I've ever uh, posed to any guests on our show is because I I am challenging myself with this sort of retrospective vulnerability that I'm trying to dig into here for, for me. And I think as men, we suck at vulnerability, period, usually. No, you're quite good at it, actually. <laughs> A little too good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I want to know, well, again, from Tal, you, you know, you've had a ton of parent, way more parenting experience than I have, Tal. Um, is there anything you would have done differently? Um, well, yeah, again, I mean, again, there's, there's actually not a lot that I would have done differently as, as a dad. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I grew up as the oldest of six kids and then my dad, I uh, got married again and then there was a, I had a stepbrother and then I, they, my, my dad and my stepmother produced a child. So I, I was really the oldest of eight and, uh, you know, my, all my relatives had big families. So, I mean... I, I was kind of used to the rough and tumble and the and the rhythms, and I was used to actually seeing things that parents would do with with good intentions that just wouldn't work. And so I'd kind of just grown up looking at that. So when when it came my time to create my own family, I, I really felt like I was I was ready to go. I had a pretty good idea of how to structure things, and I was I was really, I took a lot of pride in that. It, it was a really important part of my life. But but again, I mean, my my things were kind of with with in the end after we left Mormonism. With their with their, my then partner, that was the challenge. Um, so yeah. you know, that's a whole other. That's a whole. Uh, other. That's a whole. Uh, we had you on the show to talk about that so many years ago. All right, I wanted to go from uh, politics and something uh, we could be outraged about to something we could be toft, uh, soft and tender mm. about uh, to something that is a bit more benign. Howard, what are you doing? Nothing. Just uh, what are you doing now? He's, dri- he's driving through McDonald's. That's what he's doing. Right? <laughs> what are you doing right now? I'm uh, waiting for uh, the next uh, fantastic admission of your um, Stop vulnerability. It. Stop it! If you had a hundred grand, would you join eight other people and travel four thousand meters below level sea level in a titanium carbon fiber submersible to visit the Titanic? Would you do something like that? Because I think that's. An incredible waste of money, but then it got, that got me thinking about the bucket list question, which I don't think we've ever actually asked no, on our show. I don't think we have. Because we're not superficial, and bucket list stuff sometimes feels like superficial. But if you knew you are going to be dead in five years, what would you get done, Howard? Well, as you can imagine, Drew Your and eyes. Tal, uh, <laughs> I've given this quite a lot of I thought. can imagine. And... Um, I have a, uh, you've heard of Freedom 55, people yes. talk about retiring, mm-hmm. retiring. I have a thing I call Freedom 75. Yes. <laughs> and what that is, is this. If I get to age 75 or I get diagnosed with stage four anything, yep. I'm going on an epic death bender. 
A deathbender. Yes. So tell us all my, about that. Well, again, my bucket list is a little bit different. If you, you know, someone told me I had five years is different than if I had five months. Okay, five months. First thing I do is I go get a heroin needle. I stick it in my eyeball. Next what? thing you know, I'm in Mexico. I'm at a uh, at a show, let's say, and uh, my kids find out your father passed away as part of a donkey exhibit, and it's all just. <laughs> Ridiculous. So that's what I. You? So that's what, what I thought about. Remember, wrong? epicdeathbender.com. Oh wow! No, look, I just walked the Camino. I don't know if I've raised there that before. Go. I don't know if I've spoken Wait about that before. What, Tim? <laughs> Did you hear? What? I thought I was talking about a car. Uh, so walked a thousand kilometers, right? Did the whole three months of silence, and then oh, turned yeah. fifty. It was a beautiful moment, and it was a kind of a bucket list thing. How about three more seconds of silence? <laughs> So, Tal, 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 Howard doesn't have a soul. What about you? Well, I, I would consider that a huge waste of money going to see the Titanic in, in your break. I mean, it's a waste of time. Like, if I if they offered it to me for free, I wouldn't go. Really? You wouldn't even uh, do that for free? How? Just Google it. Forget well, I, the I money. The I went to the Titanic exhibit at the local museum here. They had all the stuff. I mean, I've already seen a lot of it. Apparently, I, it I, tanked. Yeah. Oh, it, my it, God. It no, I, I don't know. I was thinking about this when you sent the questions around. I think one thing that I, I think would be cool to do is, is get all rigged up and, and uh, do the horse ride along what's called the Pacific Crest Trail. Yes. It goes from Mexico all along that spine of mountains up through California, Oregon, Washington to British Columbia. Yeah. Do that on horseback. I think that would be pretty cool. What was that movie with the chick that, that said to the cop, you, don't, if, you wouldn't do this if you knew who I was. She got pulled over for drunk driving, an actress, a uh, blonde chick. She was in the movie, but the, she walked it alone or something. Anybody? No. Anybody? I, no. I, I, I Reese Witherspoon. Reese, Reese Witherspoon. Witherspoon. Thank you. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't see the movie, but I mean, I, I spent part of the time I grew up was in Washington, and we would kind of go up there. And yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, um, do you, uh, Howard, honestly, look at me for a second. Just mm. focus in. Do you think bucket list things are just silly? Do you think they're silly? Not at all. So what would you do, man? Um, you know, I've been kind of living my life, uh, for the most part, uh, by doing things that interested me, whether it was learning to play you know, an instrument or learning to, get a, learning to fly or learning to snowboard or learning to do comedy again or doing different things, going to, you know, play golf or volunteer for a kids' theater. When, when things have struck me in the past, I've always thought, why wait until you're old or going to die? I think that the way to fill your bucket list is to attempt. You don't have to be great at everything. Mm -hmm. It's to attempt things while you're alive and well uh, that uh, you have a notion you might enjoy. Are is, you that, is that too are, weird? Are you afraid of death? Absolutely. Are you really? Of course. Why? Because I don't want to. Because I, I think it'll hurt. Like, have you ever had like a really bad I paper think it'll cut? Hurt. Think about this. <laughs> if you've ever had, thanks you, thank you, Tal. If you've ever had a really bad paper cut, imagine yeah. how much that hurts. How much more can death hurt? Wow. Yeah. What if it didn't hurt? Would that matter? Gone. See you. Bye bye. Bye bye. <laughs> Tal, are you scared to death? Uh, no, no, not at all. I mean, in, in in the moment that my car is like skidding off the freeway, yeah, I would try to correct it. I mean, my instincts would kick in, but you know, generally, Bravo. Yeah, yeah, not at all. In fact, I'm kind of looking forward to it at this point in my life. <laughs> yeah, I mean, after being on the show with Drew, I totally oh, feel that. Stop it! Oh, stop it! Hey, let me just quickly say something. Is I've asked. Yes. I'm a pilot, uh, and as any pilot, if you have a, here's how you know you have a pilot at your party. Believe me, he'll tell you. So, but, <laughs> yeah. but I've talked to other pilots about that moment when you realize whether it's a commercial flight or you're in a small plane. You think you know things have gone sour. I always ask other pilots, what do you think you'd be doing? And everyone says the same thing, working the problem all the way to the ground. Right. Like you, you would just, and that's what it, 
that's what I want to do with my life is I want to work it all the way to the ground. Right. What's the closest you've ever come to death so far in your life? Other in, than in a small airplane. On, other on than stage. this show? Oh, no, yeah, well, I've, I've, I've bombed on stage. <laughs> not, not a lot recently, but I've bombed on stage. Yeah. Doing, you know, doing stand-up is a very precarious thing. Um, and as long as I've been doing it, it still remains precarious. Yeah. But have you ever actually come close to dying? Yes. Have you really? Of course. What do you mean, of course? I don't know this. I, uh, well, let's, hear, let's hear about it. Yeah. Why? About 120 hours into my flying uh, pilot's license. I was got my license, and I was flying along, and just briefly, I came back from uh, Toronto to Burlington at about 2,000 feet, and all of a sudden, I flew into a layer of cloud, and I wasn't licensed to flying clouds. And in you a got very a cloud license, you, well, no, yeah. it's called an IFR license. So I wasn't licensed, and I panicked a little bit, and all of a sudden, the plane started to go up and was about to flip over, <laughs> and it all happened so fast. It's the kind of thing where the thing that kills most general aviation pilots is that flying into weather you're not qualified to be in but don't you have a bubble with lines and all you keep that, that straight you, none of that matters they call it the last hundred they call it the last 180 seconds of your life because it takes less than three minutes to go from do to do everything's okay then all of a sudden you're in a cloud and you can't get out and what i did that saved my life is did you pray to jesus i did no we, yes and then i uh, straightened I, I got so panicked that i pushed the nose of the plane down and everything sort of started to go back to normal and as i as i was shaking I, I hit the radio and I said, Pearson, this is uh, this plane. Could you help me out? I'm in a, I'm, I'm in, a, they call it inadvertent IMC, which means in meteorological conditions. And I said, I need some help. And the guy basically steered me out of it. Wow. But the guy, and the funny thing is there was a passenger in the plane. Oh, he, had no, he had no idea what was going on because I was so freaked out and intent on not dying. And then we got out of the cloud. He's like, that was cool. I'm like, no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. None of that. What's that was smell? Cool. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> is that mushroom soup? <laughs> that is not mushroom soup. Oh, my goodness. I'm sweating from that story. What about you, Tal? Have you almost died? Uh, well, I mean, I've, you've heard about, about my hospital trips from the rugby games, but I mean, other than that, um, what about when you're on stage with Taylor Swift? <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I was actually pretty fun. Well, um, I mean, the, the, off the top of my head, the, the thing that maybe the situation where I maybe came closest to death was that I, I jumped onto a, a very, very hot Egyptian Arab mare horse, um, in heat Whoa. one day. Whoa. Um, yeah, well, I was riding the horse. Um, <laughs> Whoa! Um, um, and we were, we were. I was in Northern California, and we were like blasting along the, what is what remains of the original Pony Express Trail. And I had no idea before I had shown up here to, to kind of for this adventure just how precarious it was. And they had sort of told me on the phone, well, you know, the, the trail's only like 18 inches wide in some places and there's huge drop-offs. And honestly, I thought they were exaggerating because, you know, we live in a weird safety freak world right now where everyone has to exaggerate every possible thing that could ever go wrong for liability purposes. So I kind of didn't take it seriously. Mm. So I jump on this horse. The horse is, these horses are like huskies, right? Like all they live for is running full speed and they don't care how wide the trail is they don't care about the hairpin turns and there's we're right above the american river where the gold rush was and it's hairpin turns 200 foot drops 500 foot drops 700 foot drops 100 foot drops i mean any of them you're dead and 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 i and i could i couldn't control this mare not least because the guy who owned the mare wouldn't put a bit into the mare's mouth and he was just using like the halters i'm trying to what steer that yeah so I jump on this horse. The horse is running at breakneck speed. 
Um, and I'm trying my best to stay balanced. And we finally come in. I'll make this quick. We finally come into one little area where it's kind of clear. It's a very old service road. And the horse kind of calms down, even slows down a little bit. And I'm like, holy cow. Like, I can't believe I, I, I'm still alive after that last two hours. So it was like a, That's two crazy, hours dude. till then. And as we're, as we're kind of just clippity-clopping along the side of this service road, and we're, we're fairly close to the edge of the cliff, but at least it's, you know, uh, eight feet wide, not 18 inches. And Arbutus branch, you know, the tree, I don't know if you have them out east, but there's a little Arbutus tree, um, a branch wedges into the horse's side and gets caught in the leather strapping and starts to puncture this horse's lung. Yes. And the horse completely freaks out, jumps up into the air. The, the horse thinks he's being stabbed to death, which I guess he was. Jumps up into the air, and it's like a bucking bronco. It's like rodeo time. Yeah. And I'm literally five feet from the edge of a 500-foot drop-off. Hey. And the thing, thing went absolutely crazy. Um and and panicked, and I'm trying to stay on the horse, and ha this whole thing happened so quickly. But um, in the end, I fell off the horse. The horse ran over me, um, ran up the trail like maybe five, six hundred meters, and and I was okay. Man, man, that was, man. I was. Ladies and gentlemen, Tal Backman, Tal Backman on the Drew Marshall show. He, he's resurrected. Uh, I, I didn't realize that was a contest. But okay. no. <laughs> yeah. You win. Trust me, you it win. wasn't. Well, both of you, I've taken both of you out for trail rides, and uh, you're actually quite accomplished riders. Uh, uh, Tal Backman on the Drew Marshall show, and uh, humble Howard Glassman on the Drew Marshall Show as well. Both of you, thank you very much. It was Cal, good to chat with you. you, and uh, take care, Tal. We care about you deeply. See you, buddy. Bye, Tal. Bye. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Bye, Tal. Bye. Bye. All right, folks, uh, stay tuned. Uh, we'll be back next week, 1 to 5, on Saturday for the Drew Marshall Show. Bye-bye. I'm from all that fears. I'm swearing.